0: This morning we're going to continue our series on encounters with Jesus here at City Church. We value our vision is to know Jesus, love people, and impact your world. And so it's fitting each uh, year at the beginning of the year to kind of refocus on what we're about here. Uh, and 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 so knowing Jesus, getting a glimpse of Him, beholding Him in the Scripture, and following Him, and prioritizing the kingdom. Uh, in our lives is something we want to we continue to focus on uh, each year, and one of the aspects of that is the, the, the value of prayer. We value faithful prayer here at City Church Garland. We talked about this last week, and we looked at the life of Jesus and how he modeled for us a prayerful life. We looked at Jesus a number of places throughout the book of Luke. And Luke has this is a major theme in Luke's writings and in, in the gospel, according to Luke, and in the book of Acts. We see the church praying. We see Jesus praying. We see the church praying. We see the kingdom of God advancing. We see the Spirit of God moving in connection with the prayers of God's people. And so uh, so we're looking at that today, a prayerful life in, in Luke chapter 18. Last week, we looked at Luke chapter 11, uh, when one of di- Jesus' disciples saw him praying. Again, he was praying, and one of his disciples saw him praying, and he said, hey, teach us to pray, like John taught his disciples to pray. He was interested. He was intrigued. He, wa- he saw that Jesus had this connection with the Father that he wanted that he wanted to cultivate, and Jesus gave a simple pattern for prayer. He modeled a life of prayer, and he gave a simple pattern for prayer. And so we walk through what's been called the Lord's Prayer, a concise uh, account of that in in Luke's gospel. And we walk through how Jesus simply taught his disciples to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Uh, Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those indebted to us and lead us not in temptation, right? So we looked at, we looked at that last week and then at the end of that, that, that talk on how to pray, Jesus gave an example of a friend who went to another friend at nighttime for some bread. And he, was one, he had a traveler coming in, and, and so he, he wanted to provide bread for him and, and hospitality. And so he kept knocking, and the friend didn't want to get up and wake the kids up and give the bread because it was inconvenient. But the, but the friend who wanted bread persisted, and he kept asking. And Jesus said, ask, and keep asking you will receive. Seek and keep seeking and you will find. Knock and keep knocking and the door will be open to you. And so we looked at how Jesus taught persistence in prayer. He taught simplicity in prayer. Don't overcomplicate it. We come to God as children who are loved by him and he is our heavenly father who gives good gifts to his children. If earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to his children, how much more would your heavenly father, whose good pleasure and delight is to give you the kingdom and to give you what you need in this life, how much more will your heavenly father give you what you need when you ask? And we looked at Luke eleven thirteen, and specifically Luke mentions that he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Steve, would you take the reverb off of that? Okay, thank you. Um, And so let me pray, and then we'll dig in. Heavenly Father, we invite you to move in this space. I thank you for your people, and I thank you that when we gather together in your name, you do show up. We need you, and we need help to live a prayerful life. Lord, you have shown us this is what you want for us. This is for your glory and for our joy. And so would you, by the work of your spirit, move us along into a lifestyle of prayer. Help us to engage in the discipline of it and help us to find delight in you as we pray. May we always pray. May we be a prayerful church who's faithful in prayer, and may we see your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to start with a quote here from J.C. Ryle, who describes prayer as the life breath of Christianity. He says, The subject of prayer ought to always be interesting to Christians. Prayer is the very life breath of true Christianity. Prayer is one of the first evidences of conversion. And neglect of prayer is is the sure road to fall. Whatever throws light on the subject of prayer is for our soul's health. As I was preparing last week and this week to preach on these texts that focus in on prayer I was just reminded of how many great resources there are, how many men and women of God have written some wonderful works on the subject of prayer. And we could go on and on with many messages on this topic because this is an essential, essential part of the life of every disciple, every follower of Jesus. Any relationship needs communication. We need to talk to those that we have relationship with and we need to listen to. And in our relationship with God, we are communicating with God and he is communicating with us. And so this is essential. This is vital for our prayer. This this is vital for our Christian life. And in this parable, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus gave this parable so that we might live a prayerful life. So that his followers who heard that that message that day might live a prayerful life. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, amen. Here's our big idea. Jesus wants his followers to pray frequently and faithfully. Through prayer, God brings about his just plans in the world, and by it, Christians persevere in faith. Jesus wants his followers to pray frequently and faithfully, and through prayer, God brings about his just plans in the world, and by it, Christians persevere in faith. Now, I have no desire this morning to condemn or guilt anybody concerning their life, their prayer life. I am aware that many Christians struggle with this being faithfully lived out. And we need all the help and all the encouragement we can get to be prayerful people. We need, a, we need examples to learn from, we need help from God. We need to we need to study how to be prayerful, and we need to ask God to teach us to pray as the disciples did in Luke chapter eleven. And Jesus just so happens to give us this parable for the purpose of helping His people live prayerful lives. He knew that we need all the encouragement that we can get when it comes to living a prayerful life, because there is a battle, there's a struggle that takes place here to be prayerful. And Jesus modeled that prayerful life perfectly. And we've all fallen short of following in his footsteps perfectly. Nevertheless, what we see in Scripture is that this life of prayer is what God has for each one of us. It is possible for you and me to live a prayerful life, to live a life that is saturated with prayer. Though though it may be flawed and though we may fail and though we may stumble and not live it out perfectly, yet you and I, by the power of the Spirit, can live lives of prayer, prayerful lives. And this is what Jesus said he gave, or this is what Luke said, The reason was that he gave this parable. He told them the the parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. I hope that that effect would occur in our lives as we hear this today. That by, by the work of the Spirit, by the grace of God, we would be moved along into prayer. That we would respond to God's invitation to so much more in this life by communing with him and pouring our hearts out to him in prayer. He wants us to pray frequently. He wants us to pray faithfully, and he wants us to pray fervently. The Apostle Paul echoes these biblical calls to prayer in this way. He described to the Thessalonians, he says, Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is what God wants for you, saints. He wants you to pray without ceasing. He wants you to live a prayerful life. He says, be constant in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so we need all the help we can get. We need examples. We need inspiration. We need a clear vision of how to how to live this out. And one of the examples here uh, that, that I want to quote from is Brother Lawrence. If some of y'all have read his book, Practicing the Presence of God, and many saints have found that little book helpful. He was a, he was a chef who... Uh, had uh, much task, uh, many uh, tasks to, to uh, tend during the day, but he learned to cultivate a life of prayer while he was doing his work. And so he writes about this idea of having a continual conversation with God. Okay, this is something that you and I can do. He says this, there is, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation conversation with God. And those only who comprehend it will practice and experience it. Dallas Willard said that talking uh, talking to God about what we are doing together, that's what prayer is, talking to God about what we are doing together. See, last week we looked in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus was praying in a certain place, and he often would go and pray in solitude. He would spend time talking to the Father in a certain place. But there's also this idea of communing with God throughout our day when you're doing the dishes, when you're at work, when you're driving, when you're laying down to go to bed just having conversations with God as anxieties arise in your heart, as burdens start to weigh upon your heart, as you start to feel the weight of the responsibilities that are entrusted to you and to your family. You can bring those things to God in prayer frequently. You can talk to God about them and ask him for wisdom, ask him for grace. And you could say simple breath prayers, simple prayers like, God, would you help me? God, would you show me what to do? God, forgive me. I need strength. God, what is going on? And just talking to him throughout your day with simple prayers that are are inviting him in and and keeping you aware that he is present and that he cares. As I said last week, we don't want to be functional atheists or functional deists, the, who, who uh, embrace the idea that God is, is not involved personally with his creation. He is personally involved with his creation. He does hear the prayers of his people. He does care. And so Jesus tells us this parable so that we can be thrust into a life of prayerfulness. Brother Lawrence uh, sh- shares this. He says, don't, don't be discouraged by the resistance you will encounter from your human nature. You must go against your human inclinations. Often in the beginning, you will think that you are wasting time. But you must go on and be determined and persevere in it until death, despite all the difficulties. Press in. Prayer does involve work and discipline. A prayerful life does not come automatically. It doesn't come by coasting. Okay, there's an intentionality to this that must be engaged. We must engage God intentionally and thoughtfully. And there's a discipline. We need to set a time, and, and it's helpful to make prayer lists to kind of keep track of what you're targeting in prayer and who you're targeting in prayer. And so don't lose heart. Don't give up. And so let me, before we move on, let me just ask, where are you in your life of prayer? Have you lost heart in any aspect of your prayer life? Are there people in your life that you have been burdened for, that you've just kind of given up and thrown in the towel praying for? Situations that you just feel are impossible, that are never going to change, and that's how you feel about them. Well, you know, that's that's part of why we pray because God does the impossible. He does what we can't do in our own strength with all our wisdom and all our discipline and all, all our creativity. God does what we can't do in response to our prayers, and he's just set it up that way. He's just set it up that, that that through prayer, through us coming to him and our relationship with him and through our asking that he bring about his plans, that he bring about his good good plans and good things into our life, through us simply asking, have you grown weary or, or faint-hearted in praying? And how much, how much work or, in, in, or energy do you put into your prayers? Just some, just some questions to kind of gauge and think about where you are and where we are. And so here's, here's something, too, that I want to highlight from this passage. God brings about justice through our prayers. Jesus gives this story of this widow who had been done wrong, okay? And the Old Testament and the New Testament gives specific instructions about caring for people like this, widows and orphans. God's heart is for them, for the poor, for those who are vulnerable. And when we mistreat them, it is a matter of injustice before God, you see this idea of biblical justice essentially means that it's 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 giving what's due a person. And there's this widow who is done wrong and he describes her as as uh, just being persistent to this judge and going to this judge and not giving up and this judge wasn't a, a judge who feared God and he didn't really care much about what people thought. He didn't care much about people. Okay? So there's a contrast between this unjust judge And God, who is just, who is loving, who is good, there's a contrast between the two. And this widow would not give up. She would persist, and and she would cry. She would continue to ask, get justice, get justice for me. And by the way, this is a theme that Luke repeats over and over in the book of Luke. This idea of care for the poor and those who are marginalized. And this is just another example of that. And so God brings about justice in the world through our prayers. What do you, how do you respond when you read reports, news reports, things that, are hap- that have happened over the last few years, and, and your, your, your heart's burdened, or, or maybe you don't know what to do with it, but how, but how do you respond to those things? Right? I mean, some of, some of those things that we see with war, with, with unjust treatment of people, uh, people being killed, people being done wrong. Some of those things can really burden our hearts. And, and, and we may struggle to know like, what, what do I do as a Christian? We, we feel the world is broken. We see the darkness spreading Right, and, and we're grieved by it, and, and we long for God to intervene and do something about the brokenness that we see and that we experience in the world and in our own lives. And Jesus is directing his people here to, uh, to respond to injustice and evil in the world by prayer. This is action that Christians ought to take. Prayer is doing something, okay? And prayer is an important doing of something. One of the most important things we need to do, one of the, the most important ways we need to respond when we get reports about terrible things happening in the world, we need to pray because God is a God of justice. God in the Old Testament is described as a father to the fatherless, And a protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. James 1 tells us that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. You see, our care for those who are vulnerable is a matter of of justice. So, Last week, we had um, Snow Day. Monday was Martin Luther King Day, right? And so Martin Luther King is an example of somebody in the 1950s and 60s and during the civil rights movement, led and pursued justice, justice for the African-American people in our country who had been mistreated. And there was a target, there was a response to something that wasn't right in the world. Racism, and segregation. Something that needed the change that's inconsistent with Christian values, with biblical values that's unjust and it's not righteous. And so Martin Luther King and other leaders took action. Peaceful protest and action and spoke up. They called for for seasons of, of prayer and fasting. They took action. Concerning the injustice in our land. And there was change eventually. It was a fight. Martin Luther King lost his life. He was assassinated. There was a fight. But there, but there was this pursuit of biblical justice that something needs to change. And you and I are, as the people of God, are called to be the salt. We are the salt and the light of the world. And one of the first ways we need to respond to the injustices in our world is to pray. We need to pray, and then we need to speak up. Speak up for the the weak, the fatherless, the vulnerable, those who can't defend themselves, those who have no voice to say, get justice for me. And this widow was one of those voices that that didn't have much of a voice, much influence or authority in in the ancient world, in the first century. And this judge could do something about her case. And Jesus contrasts this judge, unjust judge, with God who is just, who does take action, who does respond to our prayers. Today, as many of you may know, is Sanctity of Life Sunday, okay? Um, We've talked about this before, Um, but Sanctity of Life Sunday uh, was sanctioned in January 22nd, 1984, by President Ronald Reagan when he issued a proclamation designating the third Sunday of January as National Sanctity of Human Life Day. And this was in response to a crisis, a a huge injustice that has occurred right here in our country for many years, From 1973 to 2020, there have been 63.6 thousand unborn babies who have, have had their lives taken from them through abortion. This is a terrible injustice that we have tolerated in our land. I was reminded of about 10 years or so, my, my wife and I and the Lejeunes were with us. We went and we did a March for Life in Houston at a, with thousands of people, and we prayed. We put red tape over our mouths, and we did a silent march to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. This is a matter of justice, and we must pray and and, and, and and God will act. And in in, Je- in June of twenty twenty two, we saw a significant shift concerning this matter in favor of protecting um, unborn babies. Joe Carter says that, that was that this was one of the most that shift in June of twenty twenty two was one of the most significant acts of justice in modern history. While ruling brings only a change of direction, not an end to the fight over abortion, it is an essential victory for the pro-life cause that should be celebrated by all Christians. As Christians, we value human lives, lives that are in the womb and lives that are out of the womb. Every life, every human life, every race, those those who are disabled, those who are marginalized, those who uh, are, are um, don't have much of a voice in society. We value human lives, and this is a matter of justice to stand up for those who are helpless and have no voice. God hears the cries of his people, and he responds to the cries of his people. And throughout history, there have been Christians, followers of Jesus, who had, have experienced terrible injustices and terrible treatments because of their commitment to following Jesus. And even today, there are countries where, if you are a Christian, life is very difficult for you. And you can be killed and you can have everything taken away from you because of your faith in Jesus. And this treatment of Christians who live in those parts of of the world is unjust. It's a matter of injustice that we, the people of God, collectively should cry out for. Another matter of injustice in our day is human trafficking. Which we have more human slaves in this point in history than ever. So these are some big, weighty matters. How do we respond to matters like this? We pray, first of all. We say, God, do something about this. Change this. This is not right. We need you to intervene. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we need to be willing to have conversations about these things. In Revelation chapter 6, there's a description of God's justice being brought uh, in the world, or a cry for God's people uh, for justice. It says, "When they opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witnesses that they for the witness that they had borne." They cried out with a loud voice, O oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should, be, should come, be, be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. You see, in prayer, we're to cry out for justice, for justice in, 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 in circumstances here and now, in our lives that we know about, that are present, but also there's coming a day when Jesus will return and he will bring justice in, in this world. He will bring, he will give what's due to those who are perpetrators and who are taking lives and oppressing lives. He will bring justice and we're to cry out for that we're to be god's people who pray for that and by the way this parable is considered an end time parable it's in the context it's sandwiched in between statements that jesus made about the end time okay uh, right before that, in, in Luke chapter seventeen, he was talking in response to the Pharisees' questions about the kingdom of God and how, and Jesus gave them a description of the kingdom already being in the midst, because the King was there. And he said, you know, earlier on, he said, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here." The kingdom has come, and then Jesus was giving description about when the kingdom would come in a very observable way, that it won't be mistaken. When Jesus comes back, what's going on? He is bringing judgment and justice in the world. And so at the end of this parable, Jesus makes this statement. He says, I tell you that he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So again, this parable sandwiched in between this statement, verse 8, and chapter 17. And we see in the book of Revelation, uh, describing the things to come in the end, we see the people of God crying out for justice. We see injustices that seem to increase in the world, and, and God's people crying out for God to do something about this thing that is wrong and not right. And so we set our hope upon Jesus to come back and make things right. He is our hope. And so my third point here is that God's people need prayer to persevere. God's people need prayer to persevere. Jesus told his disciples before he went to the cross, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation, right? Peter, in 1 Peter 4, he said, the end of all things is at hand. Be sober-minded for the sake of your, your prayers, Right, And so prayer is key for us. P- prayer is a part of you and I persevering to the end faithfully until the return of Christ. I believe that Jesus will find faith on the earth when he returns. Tony Evans says this, that the question is about our willingness to persevere by faith and prayer based on God's word. Believers have a legal right to answer prayer. And so we are those who believe and we will continue to believe and a part of our faith being expressed is we're talking to God about this world. We're talking to God about the things going on in our lives and and we're cultivating hearts that are tendered towards him and not hardened and calloused by the things of this world. And so we need prayer. And so here's some benefits to prayer. We experience God and the good things that he has for us that we wouldn't otherwise experience unless we prayed about them, right? Jesus says the Father will give us good things, good gifts, and the Holy Spirit specifically when we pray. You want more of God in your life? more of the work of the Spirit in your life, ask Him, invite God into your life. James 4 tells us that, that you have not because you ask not. Right? There are certain things that you and I won't experience in this life if we simply don't ask God and say, God, would you provide this? Would you do this? And so let us, let us not fail to, to ask Him those things that we need for. Nevertheless, let us not treat God like a vending machine. Let us not treat prayer like a vending machine. This is a conversation with a person. We are communing with God. But he does tell us to ask for things. Ask for those things that we need. But that's not the only thing that prayer is for us. And of course, we don't want to treat prayer like a broken vending machine. And be discouraged and not not expect God to respond at all to our prayers. Let us not lose heart in praying. We experience God, bring about justice when we pray, as I've already mentioned. We experience God's peace when we pray. You need more peace in your life. The prescription to, to experiencing peace in, in your life, in my life, is to be prayerful. Be anxious about nothing but all things by prayer and supplication, right? We're told to pray for kings and those who are in authority that we might lay, lead a, live a peaceful life. In 2 Timothy, we experience God's provision when we pray. Give us this day our daily bread. We experience God's protection and deliverance when we pray. Lead us not in temptation and deliver us from the evil one. We need that. We gain perspective when we pray. Paul prayed for the Ephesians. Uh, may, May God enlighten the eyes of your understanding. Open the eyes of your heart. Give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know the hope of his calling and uh, the riches of his glorious inheritance and the power that works towards us who believe. Through prayer. We experience joy when we pray. You need more joy in your life. I mean, just imagine how, how, how our lives could look if we saturated our days with prayer. Prayer. Just in a continual conversation with God, we're connecting with him, we're keeping an awareness of him, of his presence and his activity in our life, and we're asking him for help, and we're we're thinking about him, we're talking to him. Jesus said that until now you've you've asked nothing in my name, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Joy is the result of prayerfulness. We're bringing, bringing our petitions to God in prayer we experience God's healing when we pray. James 5:16 says to confess your sins and pray for one another that you might be healed. We experience forgiveness. Uh, uh, forgive us our sins. We confess and acknowledge our sins before God. We experience victory over temptation when we pray. We experience our heart's desire. John 15:7: if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire. And it will be given to you. And of course, when we're doing that, when we're abiding in Jesus and His words abiding in us, our desires are going to shift and change, aren't they? And He re- and God responds to those things. How about some barriers in prayer? What's some of your? What's been some of your biggest barriers in prayer? You don't have to say it out loud. What was that? You can say it out loud. <laughs> Lazy? Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, here's one. My, my wife and I listened to a book um, uh, this summer uh, called A Praying Life. And it's a wonderful book, and I, I want to recommend it if you want to be inspired and encouraged in your prayers. But he wrote, some, he wrote a couple chapters on cynicism as a significant barrier to a prayerful life and this is this is what he said here. Here's just one little section. He said, to be cynical is to be distant while offering a false intimacy of being in the know. Cynicism actually destroys intimacy. It leads to a creeping bitterness that can deaden and even destroy the spirit. A praying life is just the opposite. It engaged, it, it's, it engages, it engaged evil. It doesn't it doesn't take no for an answer. The psalmist was in God's face, hoping, dreaming, asking, praying, feisty. Cynicism, on the other hand, merely critiques. It is passive, cocooning itself from the passions of the great cosmic battle we are engaged in. It is without hope. And so we want to push back on that tendency towards cynicism and to treat prayer like a broken, broken vending machine or to, to doubt and, and to be critical or cynical about whether God hears or answers our prayers. Another barrier is pride that we see. And, and Jesus gives us another parable right after this describing a Pharisee and a tax collector who went into the temple to pray. And, and he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And this Pharisee prayed, he said, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven and beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so Jesus teaches us a posture of humility and dependence in prayer. The example that he gives is of a a religious leader who trusted in himself that he was righteous, and he looked down upon other people with contempt. And then this tax collector, who just came humbly, knowing that he had sinned greatly, and he depended upon God for mercy. And Jesus says, that man walked away justified. And he said, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I think pride... Is, has been one of the biggest barriers that I've experienced uh, to, to being prayerful. Pride in the sense that I got this, I can do this. Can, leaning on my own understanding, or I got the strength or the wisdom to figure this out rather than to stop and pray and say, God, I need your help. Would you guide me in this? And so let us be those who humble ourselves before God in prayer and trust that he will respond to those prayers. I like how John Piper talks about prayer uh, as a walkie-talkie, not as an walkie uh, wartime walkie-talkie, not as an intercom on a um, on a ship saying, "Hey, see, send me up some hors d'oeuvres," right? But a walkie-talkie for wartime, uh, where we are we are in a battle, we are on a mission, and we need God's help. We need God's direction, and we need The people of God to pray together. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. So let me ask what are you praying for right now? And who are you praying for right now? What are you praying for right now? And who are you praying for? And what level of joy have you experienced through your prayers? Do you have a prayer list? That you, that you use? Do you have specific people and specific kingdom priorities that you're targeting in prayer? Do you feel, or do you feel like you're in a rut when it comes to your prayer life? And you kind of tend to saying the same things over, over, like your prayers sound like repeat. You know, Jesus warned against falling into those ruts that the religious leaders did in their day and repeating the same thing and not praying sincere prayers. Matthew chapter six, he teaches us to pray sincerely and to pray simply to our heavenly father. And so let me close with a couple points of application. Remember why you're praying and to whom you're praying. I think this is key. This is key for us if we're going to experience sustained prayer in our lives, if we're going to pray always and not lose heart. We need to remember why, and there's a whole lot of reasons why, We could talk about biblically, okay? Um, But one of them simply, as I've already mentioned, this is God's will for you and I to live prayerful lives. God wants this for us. He wants so much more for us. May we not settle for less than what he has for us. And then, who, and remember whom, to whom you're praying. You're praying to your heavenly Father who is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You're praying to the God of justice. He cares more about the things in this world that are not right, he cares more than you and I do. And he is going to answer the cries of his people, his elect. Okay, and, and gosh, I, I wanted to, I should have spent some time on that talking about, he says, will not God avenge his elect who cry out to him day and night? Also remember who you are. That, that's, if you're a Christian, you're in that category of elect, God's chosen people. You and I have God's favor, unmerited favor upon our lives. We have been chosen to be in his family eternally. And we have God's ear. We have God's eyes. We have God's heart turned towards us. And so we can bring those things that are burdening, burdening our hearts to him in prayer, to our heavenly father who who hears, who delights to give us the kingdom. In prayer, we're not trying to overcome some reluctance in God to give us what we need. We're, we're, we are partnering with, we're, 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 we're participating with his willingness. We're appealing to his willingness, as Martin Luther said, when we pray. So embrace the discipline of, of prayer while finding delight. Prayer is work. Work as well. Right? It, it takes discipline to pray, to stay focused. We get so easily distracted. I remember Francis Chan said, you know, one of my greatest concerns about this generation is its inability to focus, especially focus on God in prayer. We, we're so easily distracted, and we need God's help to be disciplined, to be focused, resolved to be prayerful resolve to bring the burden of our hearts to god and yet while we do that we may find ourselves in ruts we may feel a sense of mundaneness we may feel a sense of uh, uh, dryness in our prayer life while we're being faithful just to continue to meet with god and talk with god and so we're also to aim for delight in god enjoy god enjoy talking to him and i think as we focus in on who he is it will fuel our delight in him it'll fuel our prayers as we think about who he is and what he has promised. Pray for justice and don't give up. Pray that God would intervene in this world. And lastly, pray according to God's promises, his character, and his revealed will. Take one of his promises and and turn it into a prayer. Pray on the basis of who he's revealed himself to be and what he has revealed his will to be. Let me close with this quote here from Charles Spurgeon. You or I may take a hold at any time upon the justice, the mercy, the faithfulness, the wisdom, the long-suffering, the tenderness of God, and we will find every attribute of the Most High to be, as it were, a great battering ram with which we may open the gates of heaven. And so we come to our Father in heaven, and we say, hallowed be your name, and we think about who he is, and we pray God-centered prayers, and we pray according to his agenda.